find source material, create a checklist that is appropriate to their level of experience, and then do enough prep work so that when they sit down to write, they've got all the pieces, everything they need, confidence, success, and good quality. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, a couple weeks ago, we did an Ask Andrew Anything episode, which we do every 10 episodes. Yes, I remember. It was fun. It was fun. This week is not one of those episodes, but this episode is based on a lot of questions that we're getting, families and teachers who are using the teaching, writing, structure, and style writing method. So We get questions? <laughs> we have eight customer service agents who answer questions all day long, whether... Oh phone calls or emails or chats or Facebook or we have lots of answers to all questions. Well, good. So if you ask me a question I don't know, I'll just run and ask one of them. Um, (laughs) Usually what they say is if they get stumped, we can kick it up Ah, all all the way up to you if need be. So So what are we talking about? Well, we have been getting a lot more questions most recently related to writing across the curriculum. And I don't know if they're actually saying, how do you write across the curriculum? I don't think that's the actual question. I think the question is, hey, I've heard that all I need to do is learn this writing method, and I can create my own lessons. So I've done a couple years of theme-based writing lessons, and now I want to do this on my own. That's the question. How do I do that? How do I do this on my own? Well, that's kind of what we teach people in the TWSS. So... If someone has done a year or two of theme-based writing lessons and they want to create their own lessons or assignments, then either being sure that they've done that course or reviewing and refreshing with the contents of the TWSS would be step one, in my opinion. Okay, sounds great. So just just to give a little, little context for this episode, and we'll get back to your brilliant recommendation, which we all advocate very strongly in our customer service area. It was actually a year ago, believe it or not, in January of 2017 that we had an episode called Writing Across the Curriculum. So we're revisiting this a year later. And at that time, we talked about Dr. Webster, who wasn't an English teacher, wound up teaching writing. So could you just give a little recap of that story? Well, he took his teaching credential and taught school. He taught pretty much any grade level uh, over a period of years, fifth grade, seventh and eighth grade, high school, this. He ended up taking a master's in history and a PhD in African history, and then going to Africa and living and working there for the better part of 16 years. Mm. And then he, of course, was having students write papers and developing various ideas of how he could help them. When he came back to Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia, he was a little bit surprised at the writing skills of the students coming into his classes. And this would have been 
in the 70, late 70s, early 80s, he, he was frustrated. He felt that they didn't have, in his view, the writing skills necessary to do serious history study, history mm. work. And so he began then to take the ideas he had developed in his early years of teaching elementary, middle, and high school with some of the approaches he learned working with the college students in Africa, many of whom were, you know, very aggressive scholars, very teachable, very wanting to learn and improve, and and crafting that into some checklists that would help these college student, university students at Dalhousie write better papers. As he tells it, word got around Dalhousie that if you wanted to learn to write well, you would take African history because it had a reputation of using checklists and models and teaching very concretely those things that would make a good paper so that you would take African history, not necessarily because you were very interested in African history, but because you would learn the writing skills that would help you in all other classes. This did, I believe, come a bit of, become a bit of a political problem because the European and world history and Canadian history people, they didn't quite understand why these sections of African history were booming in popularity. Then Dr. Webster's aunt, Mrs. Anna Ingham, she was at that same time teaching a course called the Blended Soundsight Program of Learning, which Mm -hmm. is a phonics-based reading and writing program upon which our primary arts of language, our PAL stuff, is based. He began helping her with these summer courses and then eventually teaching a section and organizing all of his kind of lifetime-to-date ideas about writing into a system which was published in the textbook for that course called Blended Structure and Style and Composition. That textbook underwent a few major revisions, and it kind of, like any book that is unfinished, got expanded and maybe a little bloated and not necessarily planned out and organized from beginning to end. But it was the textbook used, and that was what we had when my wife and I and a few other teachers from the school I was working at went up in 1990 to meet Dr. Webster and take the Blended Soundsight course. So that's kind of the history of how it all came together, many different influences, and since then, the additional input from many very skilled Canadian teachers, American teachers, homeschooling parents from all countries, And then, of course, as we grow as an organization over the last 10 years, we've had a great team of people helping to refine and contribute to these ideas as well. So Mm -hmm. a marvelous uh, synthesis, I guess, kind of of the best of the best being presented, hopefully, in the best and most organized way. But we do have, as you like to say, the curse of knowledge. Mm -hmm. We know our stuff so well, it's easy to forget what it's like you know, to walk into a TWSS for the first time or turn on that video for the first time and hear it all for the first time. What do you think? How do you feel when that happens? That's a question we always want to ask ourselves so we can stay fresh and connected with the newest of our our customers and people that we meet. Right. And a lot of our New customers, our new families, our new teachers, they will start with the teaching, writing, structure, and style, hopefully. Perhaps they've watched it for the very first time, but we've added other ways 
to help them get started because, like you mentioned, the four deadly errors of teaching writing, we don't want to commit any deadly errors in teaching teachers how to teach writing, and so we don't want to withhold help. Yes. So we provide video courses for students to give them a leg up of how to teach your students to write. Well, co-teach with Andrew that first year, and he can teach the kids, and you can fill in some of those extra assignments, and you'll have a great time together. And maybe from there you'll go on to even more video instruction, or maybe you're ready to go on to a theme-based writing lesson. And over the years, we have actually added 15 theme-based writing lesson options to our catalog, primarily for homeschoolers. And then at the same time, we were developing these lesson plans for the homeschooling parent and co-op teacher. We started these classroom supplements for the full-time school teacher because you were doing a lot of great work in schools like Rockland or some schools in Southern California and actually all over. Alaska, uh, Washington. Right. Yeah. And a lot of these teachers were able to t- go away from that two days of training, sometimes longer, especially when you, if you did student demonstration classes and go, I know what to do. I get it. I can be a great teacher of writing now. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I started with this approach, well, 20 years ago mm. or more, maybe about 20 years ago. You haven't changed a bit. I have, yeah, I look exactly <laughs> the same as I did 20 years ago. <laughs> Never mind that I have a granddaughter and three sons who are now married. But I did exactly what you said learn the teacher training course and apply it to your lessons. I, I never used any of our theme based books, partly because we didn't have any when I started. <laughs> <laughs> and I also didn't ever use any of the student videos because we had the benefit of having you come down and do some student courses yeah. for us at the time. But now we have all these options and now we're coming around full circle, which I love, which is parents and teachers, like I said at the beginning, are wanting to create their own lessons because they've heard that it's it can be done. Sure. A lot of times people just watch a demonstration lesson with a simple little source text, mm-hmm. like on the vulture bees or dance flies or, you know, some little bit of history or, or some little Aesop fable, and they immediately see, oh, well, we could do the same thing with this thing we're talking about in earth science or this thing we're talking about in this other period of history or this thing we're talking about in Bible or religion or this other story that we're reading. So a lot of people just leap to getting the cross application very easily. Other people, and I remember doing this the first year, like where can I find source texts that are exactly like the ones we had at the training seminar, and and what will I do if I, I don't have something exactly like that? And sometimes it does take a while to get past that. And ultimately, if you stick with it long enough, you do realize that you really could use anything a kid can read. Right. There are some variables there, and some things obviously going to work a little better. But as long as it's at or below the reading level and it has some relevance to your interest, it can become a source text. But it might be worth you know, kind of going through, you know, if someone says, I want to design lessons, lesson plans, assignments for this child or these children or this group, you know, what's the process there? Right. What type of materials do they need to be able to create their own lessons? Yeah. I would say there's, there's four parts to any assignment, you know. The first part 
is pretty easy, but you have to be familiar and know it and, and be comfortable with it. And the first part is just knowing what unit mm. are you teaching? You know, what unit are you in? And as you know, uh, hopefully most all of our listeners know, we recommend that students go through the nine units essentially by a calendar over the course of the school year. You've got about eight months or so, plus or minus a little bit, to a school year. So September, Unit 1 and 2, October, Unit 3, November, Unit 4, etc. And you would speed that up or slow that down depending on the age, aptitude, experience, and maybe the goals. But you're always going to be somewhere in a unit. And knowing which unit, knowing the model, having practiced with that a little bit yourself, doing the practicum exercises that we <laughs> offer, yes. try to require, uh, strongly encourage, bribe uh, yes. people. <laughs> we offer accreditation to those who actually complete those practicum yes. assignments. If you've done it, you understand a lot better. So then you say, okay, what unit I am? What's the model? And then you can decide from that, well, how many paragraphs is this going to be? Sometimes it's pretty set. Most unit three assign, well, unit one and two assignments could be one, generally one, two, or three. Often not longer, but it could be. Unit three is pretty much always three paragraphs because of the way the story sequence chart lays out. Unit four could again be one, two, or three topics within a subject. Unit 5, pictures. We start with 3 in the course, but then we also show how you could do 2 or even 1 or even 4 or 5. So if you know the unit and you know the number of paragraphs you're shooting for, that's the first thing to decide. And that shouldn't take too long, right? So unit and length, it, it goes together because they're so integrated. Got it. The second thing to, to decide would be what is your source text? So we use source texts in unit one, two, three, four, six, and then eight and nine start to be more fluid. But really, it's those first four units that attention to the source text is most critical. And you follow the guidelines. Source text should be at or below the reading level of the student. In unit two, you're taking keywords from every sentence, so you want it to be short enough to be able to do that. So you start with approximately one paragraph, you end with one paragraph. You start with two par paragraphs, you end with the approximate same amount of content. That's probably the hardest. Unit one and two is probably the hardest just because you have to meet those two criteria in order to have good success. So relatively short. Relatively short at or below the reading level, and relevant to mm -hmm. the student or what they're learning somehow. Unit three, you get a little more flexible because although it's a three-paragraph model, you're summarizing or retelling or doing a variation of some sort on an existing story. So really, all you need is a story. It could be a half-page Aesop fable that you actually expand or elaborate into something longer. It could be a two-page Greek myth. It could be a 10-page O. Henry story. It could be an event from a history book, as long as it has mm. the elements of a story, character setting, problem or conflict, climax, resolution, outcome. So if I wanted to do a unit three on the Revolutionary War, I could? Well, you could, but it would be kind of like taking a whale and sticking it through a porthole. I, you know, 
it it would maybe one battle of the yes, Revolutionary so War. There might be one event that mm-hmm. happened in the Revolutionary War mm-hmm. uh, that you could isolate. Mm-hmm. You could also take a story and set it in the Revolutionary War. So one some of the Aesop fables are, are great classic little conflicts that could be transported to any time and place. So let's say, for example, a timeless Aesop fable, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Mm -hmm. This wouldn't have to be a boy who cried wolf. It could be a girl goat herd in Africa who cried lion, or it could be, you know, a wolf who cried boy. Or you could take that whole idea and move it into a time period that you are studying. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Revolutionary War period. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here you have a, a century who is getting bored. And so just to create a little excitement, he he sends out the message, British attack. And so all the soldiers get ready, and he just laughs, ha-ha, no, no British, okay. And they, you know, reprimand him or worse. But then he succumbs to his his boredom again, and he sends a, a false message that, that, you know, I saw a British unit over the hill, a British attack. And, of course, it isn't, and then he gets in more trouble, but... He's still there. And then finally the British do attack, and he says, oh, British attacks, oh, forget it. He never tells the truth. They get wiped out. Uh, you know. <laughs> so that would be that kind of taking the Aesop fable plot and switching it to a period of history that you maybe know some names or some places or the level of technology or the circumstances involved, mm-hmm. and you could put it in that setting. So that's one way a unit three could connect with history. So you could find an historical event that follows characters, problem resolution, or you could take a literary story and put it into the historical period. And, of course, people do that all the time, right? There's a huge genre of books called historical Historical fiction. fiction. Yeah. So we're on the, the unit and the length. That's the first thing. Now the source text, right? Unit four gets a little bit easier because now you have too many facts and you're trying to put them into a paragraph or paragraphs that use only some of those facts. That's why it's called some arising, not all arising. You're not trying to tell all the information, just some of it. So properly spelled, it would be S-O-M-E hyphen A hyphen R-I. Z-E with a nod to our Canadian neighbors who <laughs> say Z. But that idea of then you're a little freer on the source text. So now you could pull something from a science textbook. You could pull something from a Ranger Rick magazine or if you had older students, a National Geographic and say, okay, here's 20 facts. Summarize it in one paragraph with six or seven facts. Or here's a subject. Divide it into some topics and summarize each of those topics choosing a maximum of x facts mm-hmm. you know four or five five six six seven the teacher dictates that into three paragraphs and of course this is not an end product but it's practicing the skill that will be helpful later on when we get toward the unit eight essay and the research projects where there's always way too many facts. Mm-hmm. So things actually for the teacher in terms of source text get a little bit easier the further you go into the units. And yet 
we have helps along the way, of course. Uh, pictures, again, you could pull pictures out of a history textbook. Mm -hmm. You could pull pictures out of a science book. You could pull pictures from the comics, from current events, from political cartoons. Anything that you see that is relevant to the study of something, whatever that is, you could probably find some pictures or illustrations and bring those into the Unit 5 lesson plan. And again, could be three pictures, could be two, could be one. A lot of flexibility there. And so the pictures would exist instead of the source text. Probably Unit 6 is where a little bit of help helps people get going. We use the elephant mini books in the TWSS. We have the mini book sets in the student writing intensive, then in the student continuation course and in some of the theme-based lessons, we have other sets of source information that have overlapping topical information so they can practice that source outline, fuse together, and write it out. So I would think that, you know, a few projects with mini books would acclimate both teacher and student toward, aha, now we know what to do if we go to the library and get some real books or go to some websites and print out some information. The main the main job, I think, of the, the coach, the teacher, the parent, the tutor, whatever, is to continue to help the students choose the source texts which are at or preferably below mm -hmm. the top of their reading level. That way they're relatively easy to use. You don't want a poor little fifth grader writing about President Adams to go and get McCulloch's biography of Adams <laughs> of 350 <laughs> pages and say, here's a source text I'll use, right? right. No, you want to find appropriate reading material. Unit 7, no source text required. So uh, that can be relating to what you're learning or talking about in any circumstance. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. We have, I think, a lot of good ideas for that in the TWSS. And then Unit 8, it all depends on where you are with the students. Do, do they still need you to provide all the source text, or could you provide maybe one source text and have them go find a couple on their own, or could you give them a list of suggested websites or books or articles that they could go find, or can they go out and in the world of information and find appropriate themselves. That's all going to depend, of course, on the age and aptitude and experience. Uh, you know, is this their first year with structure and style? Is this their third year with structure and style? Certainly, if they've been working through these nine units for a couple years, uh, they're going to have a much greater facility kind of knowing, okay, what am I looking for here? And then unit nine, again, any length. It could be a, a critique of a short little story, it could be a critique of an epic poem. It could be a critique of a movie. It could be a critique of war and peace. You know, anything. But again, at or below and some level of relevance or interest to the reader. So source text. So the first question is what unit are they on and what, how many paragraphs do they need in That's an That's the first part of assignment. Okay, and then we need a source text, which is probably going to be the most work for the teacher to gather and put together. Generally, yeah. yes. Okay, what's um, next? And the third thing would be the style checklist, mm. right? So you you have your you have your model, you have your source text information, you work that into an outline, and now you're ready to go and write from that outline. And here's where the stylistic techniques come in. 
So you would have a checklist. The teacher would create, dictate, assign based on the stylistic techniques that have been learned so far and have become easy. We, of course, have our famous formula, easy plus one. And the easy isn't an acronym. It doesn't stand for anything. It's just the way you can write the word easy and make it look more like a formula. Well, it's an abbreviation, so it's free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in Webster's original book, he had a lot of little formulas. We haven't carried them all through, but he was trying, I think, to make things easy to remember. But the easy plus one is that, you know, you've taught one dress up, okay? Next assignment, if that's easy, add the next dress up, and now you've got two. Do that till it's easy. Once the students can do it without much help and they don't sound too goofy most of the time, then you could say, okay, looks like that's easy. Add in the next dress-up technique. Okay, there's three. And you add them in gradually according to how they become easy, not according to the schedule. Okay. That's the ideal. Right. Uh, that's why designing your own lessons is going to really work better than buying a set of lesson plans if you want to really customize it for the student. Now, one thing we always say, and it's in the introduction to every one of those theme-based books, I know, because I, I personally demanded that we be <laughs> sure to explain, these checklists in this theme-based book, this is just a suggested speed. It's okay to go faster. It's totally okay to go slower. It's okay to cross this off and, and not do all the things that we say mm -hmm. are, you know, lesson 17, mm -hmm. right? Right. So really the teacher, that's, that's part of their relationship, knowledge, understanding of where those kids are. The teacher reads what they wrote. Hey, that's smooth. That's sounding pretty easy. They didn't need too much help. They can do that. And so we're ready for a new thing. Or, wow, that's still pretty awkward. Let's just stay here for a while and just work with that. And it's always better to err on the side of too slow than too fast. We don't want overwhelmed students. We don't want students saying, oh, that checklist is so hard. Do we have to do everything? No. We want them to look at it and say, yep, I know all that. Oh, hey, I know all that, and there's a new thing. Hey, let's play with that. So that's the third part of the assignment, or the lesson, if you will, mm -hmm. and that's deciding the checklist. And it's not new for every assignment. Right, right? exactly. Sometimes you'll have the same checklist for two or three or who knows, maybe even four assignments in a row because you want to be consistent. Right. You want to have every style technique you've learned in every paragraph of every assignment until it becomes easy and then you add one more and you don't drop them off. Right. Right. Part of the power is the cumulative effect. And so I'm always disappointed when I hear kids say, well, my teacher doesn't make us do everything and I... I learned the whatever that is, but I don't do it anymore. What, what you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, that's like learning your pieces and then forgetting them and you can't play them, mm -hmm. or learning your poems and forgetting them and you don't remember them. Right. You put all that effort, why not maintain the repertoire? Why not maintain the facility with those techniques? So our approach is kind of an absolutist one. Every technique, every paragraph, every composition with maybe a very few exceptions, you know, here and there, so that we gain mastery. So with those three pieces, 
someone could write their own lessons? Or is there a fourth piece? Well, there's a fourth piece mm -hmm. that would not be necessarily part of the assignment, mm -hmm. but it would be part of the lesson plan if you were planning the lesson. Mm -hmm. And that would be previewing ways in which the style techniques could be used mm -hmm. successfully by the students. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've heard from time to time is a teacher or a parent saying, well, you know, my son, he, you know, sometimes they'll even say, well, he's just lazy. He just picks a word at random off the LY word list and sticks it in his paragraph. Well, I doubt he's lazy. What I would guess is that he doesn't necessarily have a good sense of which words on that list are going to be the most appropriate in the sentence or the paragraph he's writing. And because of that, he will pick something somewhat at random, which you or I might do if we had an assignment and we weren't sure. Okay, we'll give it our best guess. Right. So to avoid some of the awkwardness or randomness or narrowness, there's other kids who will use the same mm -hmm. L-Y word in every paragraph. Right. Why? Because it's a safe one. They know that works. But to avoid some of the awkwardness, randomness, or repetitiveness, it's great to kind of go through the outline and say, okay, so here's our LY word list. Here's the idea we want to express. Any of those words would fit with this idea. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And stir it up verbally, auditorily. And you can do that with the strong verbs. You can do that with the quality adjectives. You can do that by making out some sample who, which clauses, or look at an outline and say, hey, are there any statements here in this outline that kind of naturally fit in a who, which clause, or in a when, while, where, as, since, if, although clause, or in a because relationship, or is there anything that's going to lend itself to a prepositional opener? Kind of preview with the outline verbally, here's the style techniques we're trying to do, and how can I, as a teacher, stir up some ideas that might float down and make a better use of those things in the final copy? Some lessons, you need to do more of that. If it's a new technique, you need to do more of that. Mm -hmm. So if you're just now introducing, you know, quality adjective, well, you got to work on some weak, lame, lousy adjectives, build a band words list. Next lesson, maybe you don't do that, but you could add to mm -hmm. the band words list or look for the nouns that are going to take the adjective. So there's all that kind of just the prep work. I feel what I want is my students to really walk away from whatever lesson it was, having all the tools and the understanding as best as they can hold it in their mind, here's exactly what I want to go do. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I happen to know that many of them will procrastinate for several days, so it's better to overteach than underteach, especially if it's in a, a once-a-week lesson situation. If you're at home with the same child every day or you're a teacher in a school and you get the same kids, you can do writing every day for three, four, five days a week. You have a little bit of advantage, and they're, they're not going to necessarily forget or procrastinate to the degree it can happen when there's larger amounts of time between lessons. But those four elements should allow any teacher to take any student or group of students, know what unit they're in, determine the length based on that unit, find source material, text, pictures, ideas, which are at or below, create a checklist that is appropriate to their level of experience, and then do enough prep work so that when they sit down to write, they've got 
all the pieces, everything they need, confidence, success, and good quality. And we've had teachers that have done exactly what you've described year after year. Yes. And I do think that we've got new teachers or teachers who are newer to our system who are ready to tackle this. And we look forward to hearing from them. You listeners, if you're doing this, please let us know. Let us know how it's going. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.